0: Great. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the FACES podcast brought to you by Earth Refuge, the planet's first legal think tank dedicated to climate migration. My name is Yumna Kamil, and I am the co-founder and director of the organization. And today I'm delighted to be speaking with Rebecca Mm -hmm. Ballard is a lawyer and the founder of Maven Women, which creates clothing that honors people and the planet at each step. And she's also the founder of The Fashion Connection, an organization that seeks to empower members of the ethical and sustainable fashion community in the U.S. by creating connections and promoting accessibility and information. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much. for Hi.
1: It's wonderful to be here. Really excited for This conversation and honestly honored honored and humbled to have a minute to chat because I love what you are working on and I think it's so timely and important for our world.
0: Thank you so much and likewise. So let me start by asking a bit about your background and specifically how you came to work and perhaps even lead in the field of ethical and sustainable fashion.
1: Yeah, so like you, I am a lawyer who is carving my own path. So after law school, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I worked in advocacy. I also was a lawyer for the federal government. Then I moved abroad, and I just honestly really wanted to have the chance to live abroad. And when I was there, I had the chance to reinvent my career a little bit and move more into nonprofit management, working on some areas that I've always worked in, um, in more of a volunteer capacity. So working in areas like poverty, alleviation. And I became very passionate about human trafficking when I was working in Malaysia. And I learned there, I, I thought about human trafficking more and I think the way people consider them would be taken right? It's this really extreme scenario where someone is kidnapped. And really in Malaysia, it was interesting to see the complexity, speaking of migration, is that you have, pop, you have people who are just seeking a better opportunity for themselves and their families. So they're going to a country, in this instance, a country that's not their own as a migrant workforce, And they get tricked and trapped into very difficult circumstances with things like debt bondage, with passports being withheld, with false promises. So they are, it's um, human trafficking happens with fraud, fraud, force, or coercion. And you often see all of those elements taking place. So I worked across Asia and then came back to the US and worked in, um, in various capacities running different nonprofits. And I've always been interested in the idea of all of your daily choices being in line with your values from what you eat and drink to what you wear to how you build your home and the power of consumptive purchases. And then with such a strong background in advocacy, I was also really interested in doing something that had more of a direct intersection with the business world. So I was a frustrated consumer and I created Maven Women out of my desire to have my clothes better match my values, vocation and aesthetic. So I worked on Maven Women for some time, and it's really hard to start an ethical, sustainable fashion brand. And we can chat more about what, what those terms mean and why that is hard, why we even need to be thinking about this rather than just going out and getting whatever clothes you want. And I saw that there were some solutions out there and some people that were really great to chat with the help and support, but that there weren't a lot of connections happening. You might see that there are people in New York City who are really well connected with other people in New York, but there might be something happening in LA or in Sacramento or in Dallas or in, I had a great chat with someone yesterday who's working in um, a small town of less than a thousand people in Michigan, so there's solutions out there, but people aren't chatting, ideas aren't being discussed. So that's what we're looking to do at the Fashion Connection: is build those connections. So I can I can stop there and go go more in depth, but that's, that's kind of my background and my journey. I'm very much still on the journey. I'll also note um, the pandemic has not been easy. I have two young kids, so shout out to everyone listening who this situation has caused them to take maybe two steps forward and. 20 steps back so i'm, I'm still figuring it out like all of you
0: i mean your background is extremely impressive but also extremely necessary and it's really uh enlightening to see that you're also roping other people in you know other people who match up with your values and want to strive for the same solutions um i think it would be worth asking you to outline you know, how you define ethical, and sustainable fashion before launching into a deeper conversation? Absolutely.
1: And I think these terms are imperfect, as terminology often is. I mean, there's a lot of conversation now about should we even use terms like modern slavery or human trafficking? So I use the terms ethical and sustainable because that's what the industry has used for some time. But really, the terms that I personally prefer to use are people and planet. So ethical is how are people treated throughout the entirety of the process of the creation of a garment, which is often extremely complex. Um, There's a lot, a lot of people are thinking about the cut and sew process. So when there's fabric that's actually cut and sewn according to a pattern being done at a factory, but the entire process in terms of just simply farming, people don't think about what a huge product cotton is for our world, Um, the use of chemicals. So in the United States, we've actually had polyester surpass cotton in terms of a fabric that's being used for clothes. And that's a synthetic material. So people are actually wearing something that comes from a chemical process. They're putting these chemicals on their body. The dyeing process um, can be very challenging and, and very toxic and can be very thirsty to make cotton. It can be very environmentally damaging to dye clothes in a certain way or to create, basically these, these chemical fibers that have these properties that we love, like wrinkle resistance, but what are we getting in return, um, in return for that? And then the cut and sew process. And then of course there's the logistics component, which we also think about it maybe women, but that, um, a lot of people don't even think about the fact that once something is made, how is it going to get from that factory all the way to you? And then what's the life cycle of the garment going to be? Do you get something new? Do you wear it yourself? Do you share it? Thinking about something like, the hierarchy of needs, which I encourage everyone to think about, which is the whole idea that like you have a fancy party to go to. And maybe you borrow an outfit from one of your friends who has a similar bill of yours. Well, that's a great move movement um, in sustainability, kind of the ownership model I think is really appropriate for a number of, of, clothing types are not all of them. So thinking about the the people throughout all of that, and then the planet aspect is how is our planet being treated, Um, even getting down to things like our garments coming to people via ship or via airplane, they both have um, different impacts on our planet. And then fast fashion, which is saying, we need to do this process really, really, really fast. And if you do it really, really, really fast, um, how thoughtfully can you actually do it, especially if you aren't honing a process and creating the same garment that you've done in a slow way and then looking to improve the speed of it, but you're taking something new every single time, a new style, a new fabric.
0: I mean, it's a rabbit hole all of its own, right? And um, There are so many factors to consider, but thank you for uh, giving our listeners the starting point. I think it'd be worth also launching into asking you, what are the human rights implications of fast fashion, specifically uh, in terms of the
1: workforce? Absolutely. So the workforce is mostly women. And interestingly, most of the consumers are women. So I always say fashion is something that women really have the power, they can use their agency, they can use their purchasing power to improve the lives of women around the world. So It looks different in different ways I produced abroad, as well as in the United States. And you think about people working in a factory that is constantly trying to make things faster and make things as cheaply as possible. So it's often a race to the bottom. So you will see factories even moving, say from, you know starting off maybe in a country like Turkey or China and now you have factories moving to places like Burma, we've seen a lot of that and that situation is is now more complex with what's going on. So in this race to the bottom, you're seeing in this treatment of people, most factory supervisors are male. So you get into all kinds of workplace issues when you have a man supervising many women. So you'll have um, issues around sexual harassment in the workplace, the mistreatment of women. You'll often have people that aren't aware of their rights, aren't able to claim their rights because they don't know what they are. Their rights are not shared with them. Um, You have issues around unions. So in a lot of places, people might be fired for joining a union and having the opportunity to use their voice. There's often workplace issues in terms of things like repetitive motion injuries or what's gonna happen if someone has an injury. One of the most dire instances is Rana Plaza. So that happened eight years ago now in Bangladesh. And to me, the most chilling aspect about that disaster where over a thousand workers died in a factory is that the workers actually noticed the cracks on the building and they pointed them out to management. However, management said, go on in. And when you have someone who in, in that profile is often someone who's living in a more rural area in Bangladesh. They've moved to a more urban area and they're looking to provide better opportunity for their families because women are often so focused, not just on their well being, but really on the well being of their families. So you're having women's voices and women's concerns literally denied. Um, and the, and I'm just speaking about the factory level as well. There's human rights issues and this kind of goes into the climate justice aspect as well with the treatment of farmers in India who are growing cotton and the fact that we've seen over the years just like a number of suicides of, of farmers who the situation is just so dire and so difficult in terms of what they're being asked to do and the profitability and you get into things like debt bondage where someone um, accumulates such basically, they're coerced or fraud or experienced fraud over time, and they have such a high debt load that there's no way that they can get out of it. And then it may be passed on to the next generation. So their children then are born into debt bondage, which is a form of modern day slavery. So that's just kind of a big picture overview of some of the human rights issues. Um, do you want to give a shout out to the Maven women? blog as a place where we've spoken some about other human rights issues. Um, and I'll mention one more that people often don't think about, but it even is, is um in terms of the treatment of models. So there's a great group out of New York called the Model Alliance and so many models, they are so young and what they experience when it comes to how they have um, the contract works, how they're treated, the, um, the harassment, even the rape sometimes of people who are modeling in this industry. Um, it, It's a pretty picture on paper, but it could be very ugly behind the scenes. And the Model Alliance is doing some wonderful work with advocacy to speak up for the rights of these, what I would often consider to be like like young girls who are sold the promise of having a, a really great career and an opportunity. They may be coming, for example, from Eastern Europe, and then they end up in this really dire situation.
0: I mean, everything you've laid out is absolutely heart-wrenching. And it seems clear that various communities are uh, vulnerable, but perhaps the most vulnerable demographic is women and particularly young girls.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: Yes. And I know that the issue of human trafficking is being featured by the Fashion Connection this year in 2021. And I know also that as we at Earth Refuge has, have researched climate induced displacement and its drivers uh, in depth, we found that because an increase in natural disasters um, is uh, leads to increased vulnerability for women and children specifically, Absolutely. And in fact, them more susceptible to being targeted for human trafficking and modern slavery. So could you please also provide a rundown of how human trafficking and fast fashion tend to intersect more specifically?
1: Absolutely, and the key word really is vulnerability. So you have vulnerable people who are just trying to do the best that they can. And one of the interesting things about human trafficking and modern day slavery is it's very hard, and, and you see this in a lot of spaces, it's very hard to get data on it, however, we do believe that there are more people who are in a situation of modern slavery or human trafficking in forced labor than actually in, sex, in the sex industry. And they, they both are really tragic, but with, with a, force, in a forced labor situation, um, you see this all over the world. So there's someone who may, is gonna be recruited from, let's just take a small village area so they're at, in a small village in Bangladesh and a recruiter goes there and says, hey, don't you wanna go and work in this factory and you can get all of these things and you can send money back to your family and you can have opportunity. And also think about the demographic, I mean, it's say like an 18 year old woman girl. And she's like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to go to the city. I mean, I love living in a big city. So if you're like, this is an opportunity for me to advance myself, to advance my career. And then you're in this situation of vulnerability where there might not be a contract, you might not be literate, you might not understand exactly what's going on and then you get there. So oftentimes you'll see something in the area of debt bondage, where they'll get there and they'll say, well, you actually have to pay us. And you're like, okay, I'll pay you. And then the amount is so high that it's not an amount that someone is going to be able to pay. And that debt just accrues and accrues and accrues at a, at a percentage rate that someone is just really stuck. And they will often have their passport withheld and then they'll often experience mistreatment at the factory also. So debt bondage, forced labor is, is a major issue in the fashion industry and in a number of other industries as well. Um, one example to look up, which depending upon how you call fashion is um, the issue of gloves in Malaysia. So the United States has actually banned, um, banned gloves from coming into the United States. So all this talk about you know gloves for coronavirus, well, there were situations of forced labor in Malaysia, and one of the main places that these gloves were being made for the world.
0: I think it's safe to assume that these uh, tragedies are only set to increase as the climate crisis worsens, because the demand for high for fast fashion, will tend to increase. So how does the work of the Fashion Connection seek to address or resolve this issue of human trafficking?
1: Yeah, so we, at the Fashion Connection, we're really focused on the American ethical and sustainable fashion industry. There are so many fantastic groups out of the UK or out of other places, but there are just some, some differences about the American industry and the American audience. So we're looking to bring that industry together. We've created a platform for people to engage. We're offering free access now, if anyone would like to join and be a part of it, to come together and try and help each other solve some pain points, bring about some solutions. So I was just messaging with someone yesterday on the platform who has a background in human trafficking and is looking at how silk is being created and the mistreatment of people and and even the animal rights issues involved in the creation of silk and trying to brainstorm what are some ways that this could be done better. So we wanna offer this opportunity for people to come together and connect and we wanna provide some resources. So we're working on a resource now for those who are working at the intersection of fashion and human trafficking, just to to help with language, to help with terminology, to understand some best practices. So one example in the human trafficking arena is this issue of rescue rhetoric. And you see this a lot in the United States where is basically someone kind of using their kind of claiming that their agency is what caused somebody else to get out of a very difficult situation and taking the agency away from the person who was in that situation. So they like, you know, buy this shirt and you're going to save this many people. Well, are you actually going to save that many people are buying a shirt or are people who are in very difficult circumstances, once they're given an opportunity to pull themselves out, they're pulling themselves out of that circumstance. So that's something that we're working on being in, and we take the approach, like we want to have a kind and gentle approach. We're all trying to do the right thing here, but some of these, um, some terminology may end up being more harmful than helpful. So trying to educate.
0: That's extremely interesting and i think uh, there's some overlap between our organizations in terms of wanting to use whatever skill sets we have to try and alleviate a problem without speaking over the people who are affected but rather amplifying their voices uh, as opposed to you know still yes. taking the role of a savior
1: absolutely and realizing it's things don't fit in a nice pretty little boxes and how and people are going to want to really claim their own lives and if you have someone where the agency has really been stripped away from them Um, and when I think about times where I've experienced a lack of agency you know I've never experienced anything along the lines of modern day slavery or human trafficking it's really important to me that I find the solutions myself and how can we help people find the right solutions for them using the tools that are out there you know, some people want to be someone who stands up and they're an advocate and share their whole story and inspire other people, and then other people don't want to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for answering my questions and for helping to summarize, but also break down the links between fast fashion and, you know, environmental crises. I was wondering if there was anything else that you'd like to mention for our listeners that you think would be beneficial
1: to them? Absolutely. So I think the the pandemic has changed this some, but we're about to, at least in the United States and in some other places in the world, I think about to enter into something that is, at least in a bubble, potentially a post-pandemic world. Before that, the average American was throwing out 80 pounds of clothes a year. So when you think about that figure... Um, And just what's going to happen to the environment when those clothes break down? Where are they going to go? Because nobody in Haiti is going to want your dirty old sweat stained t-shirts. I mean, I I, I say all the time, I think that people in the developing world often dress better than Americans. So where are these clothes going to go that are used? So just being really thoughtful about your purchasing. And I assume to everything, not just clothes. I think it's better for people to be to really understand who am I and what do I want for my home for my body and make the long-term choice I think trends are very damaging and there are still fun ways that you can have innovation without following the trend so understanding your identity understanding your aesthetic understanding what you want to wear and the type of life you think you want to live and the clothes and the dwelling and all the consumptive choices that'll take you there. And because all of these choices of waste have major externalities on the environment.
0: Very, very valid advice and observations. Thank you so much, uh, both for the advice, but also for taking the time today to educate us further and to share your purpose with us.
1: It's wonderful to be here. And I look forward to um, staying up to date on what you're working on and partnering however I can.
0: Thank you so much, likewise.